Welcome to Happenings of Grace, a podcast dedicated to sharing the ways in which God works in the congregation of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Williamsburg, Virginia. I'm Timothy Nargi, one of the ruling elders, and today we have a discussion about the book Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth by Thaddeus Williams. This will be an ongoing discussion dealing with questions of justice, one question a month for 12 months. The discussion is hosted jointly by the men's and women's ministries of Grace Covenant Church, and anyone can join in on the discussion at any time. Today we have our second discussion of the book, and we address the question, Does our vision of social justice acknowledge the image of God in everyone, regardless of size, shade, sex, or status? Thank you everyone for coming to our second month question discussion of this book. Um, Shay reminded me I should tell everyone this is being recorded and will be uploaded to the website, so you know. Um, so let me just open us some prayer and then Allie will kick it off. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this evening and bringing us all here. Uh, we pray that this discussion will be fruitful for uh, each other and even for Grace Covenant and Williamsburg at large. Please help us to honor you in our discussion um, honor you in, in the things that we talk about um, for our edification, for the benefit of our neighbor, and of course for your glory. In Christ's name, pray. Amen. Okay, uh, thank you all for coming out. Um, it's really great that you know we kind of have this group that's willing to participate in a discussion. Uh, this week's question seems really easy. Right, just on the face of it, uh, which is the Imago question for Imago Dei. Does our vision of social justice acknowledge the image of God in everyone, regardless of side, shade, sex, or status? Because Thaddeus Williams is a fan of two things, three things technically, biblically sound judgment, uh, alliteration, and parks and recreation. And we have all three of them in this chapter with the Halesworth reference on page one, which warmed my heart as a similar Parks and Rec fan. Um, but this one just seems so boilerplate when we're talking about um, like diversity initiatives or equality or kindness week or unity day, like a lot of uh, initiatives that are put through public schools of this idea of treating everyone with kindness. But this is a really loaded question. If you kind of look past, it's very like seemingly simple language, right? Of uh, treat everyone the way that you want to be treated which it was, or what has been paraphrased as the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And sometimes people fail to grasp that that second commandment has uh, Christ uh, described it to the Pharisees when they asked him, which is the first and greatest? He said, the first was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, which you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think people kind of escape the fact that that second phrase is a paraphrase of the sixth remaining commandments. The first is a paraphrase of the first four. How are we to love God? And the second is how are we to love our neighbor? And so in that very simple, like, do good to others, be kind kind of language, there is a commandment to follow the law. Um, and so this, especially on the last, like, section before Walt's story, which is really convicting if you guys read that of a former white supremacist, um, there's a moment on page 25 where he talks about taking a moment to think of specific people 
who you disagree with the most and remind yourself that they bear the image of God and just how like convicting, especially for me, because I am one, a sinner and two, a horrible person, um, understanding that people who I disagree with, people who I like vehemently dislike in the very core of my being are made in the image of God, deserve God's uh, justice just as much as I do, could be recipients of God's love just as much as I am. And that's really hard sometimes to wrap your brain around, especially when it's people with whom you see literally nothing in common, people whose views you might see to be like virulently opposed to the gospel they are still in the image of God. And so that section for me was particularly convicting. Um, were there sections to you guys in that chapter that really stood out to you, that made you think, anything along those lines? Well, the section to which you just referred <clears throat> caused me to remember that, you know, I have a Christian brother whom I've known for many, many years, and I knew him a long time before I knew his political opinions, mm. of which we don't have much in common. And so whenever, particularly if I'm on, on social media, <laughs> um, whenever I'm interacting with someone who's of a different point of view, you know, I have felt the temptation to be snarky or whatever. But what I do now is I bring up a picture of this individual's face in my mind. And so I think, how would I speak to this person or in front of this person to this other person I'm interacting with, you know, or my friend who's a lesbian. Um, well, until she ended our friendship <laughs> last year. But, you know, so when I was interacting with people about sexual issues, you know, I would bring her face to my mind and keep that before me when I would interact with someone to help me remember to be in this kind of mindset that he was talking about. Yeah. I found that really helpful. I was glad to see that this chapter had a definition of justice, mm -hmm. which is to give to everyone what is their due. If it were me, I would have put it in the first chapter, but I'm glad it made it in the second. But even at that, that's just a thumbnail sketch of what mm -hmm. justice is. I mean, if we look to the scriptures, Romans says, if your brother, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul also wrote, he who does not work, neither shall he eat. So there's, there's a lot more to it than just that simple statement, but at least it's a good start. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Other thoughts about the chapter, things that stood out? Well, I underlined a couple parts. One thing I liked that he said on page 21 was um, talking about what's inside and outside the box. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, he said at the very bottom of 21, something on the effect of, if you look at just what's inside the box, there's no grounding for equality or dignity or value. Mm -hmm. And I, I know so many people who um, discard the Christian worldview, but they're all for equality and dignity and value, but they don't realize that they're they're cutting down the tree whose fruit that they value mm -hmm. by discarding Christianity. Anyway, that's just an aside. There's some other things I like to remember. It's nice to see that put out that well. Yeah. There have been, you know, I've heard it from middle schoolers, you know, it was kind of be kind day or be kind week or whatever. 
And they're asking their teachers, well, why? The teacher's like, well, because that's how you would want to be treated. Well, you know, Christian kids would say, well, do it to others, you want to do it to you. That, that comes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and the teachers are like, no, it's, it's, just, it's just how it should be, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happens is the middle school, all they can do is evaluate the teacher or the adults around them and see if they are really being kind, mm-hmm. right? That's what that sets up then, is that are these adults who are saying, be kind, credible, right? But even kids question this level of, thank you, just be kind. Well, because we should, because it's the right thing to do without a foundation. So we have a foundation, which is incredibly helpful and Mm -hmm. grounding. Yeah, I think the, the kids question the recognition of the question, even ask the question, yeah. is a reflection of the Imago Dei. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 <laughs> Another thing about inside the box and outside the box on page 24 is we so much, so often reduce people to one dimension. Mm-hmm. What is their skin color? What is their politics? And we, we ignore that they have the image of God, but they're also incredibly complex. Yeah. And there are you know, plenty of bad people who do good things on occasion when they feel like it. And a while, a while back, some some home videos of Adolf Hitler were released where he was playing with his German shepherds mm-hmm. and, you know, really being nice to them. And people were upset that he was, you know, that that video was released showing him being human, being a nice person. Now, I'm, I'm not an advocate for him at all, but, I mean, it's just... You know, it, it, we like to categorize things. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you raise, yeah, you raise an important point. Yeah. Um, and he, Thaddeus Williams also uh, mentions this. Mm-hmm. Looking at, uh, on page 24, he talks about famous examples of dehumanization. But yeah. just in uh, that kind of category of looking at, like, the after effects of dehumanization, right? He says at the bottom of page 24... Um, if you see people who disagree with you as the thing you disagree with first and image bearers second or not at all, then we aren't on the road to justice. We're on history's wide and bloody road to dehumanization. Yeah. And there is, I mean, an, an excellent but a really hard to read book um, called Less Than Human by the sociologist David Livingston Smith. Um, he's not a Christian. But he has done his research when it comes to the efforts that people went to to dehumanize um, and just how in the most famous cases that we have, and Thaddeus Williams mentioned some of them, the Jim Crow laws, the, um, the Holocaust, the Rwandan genocide, uh, Pol Pot, how almost all of them started with years of careful um, propaganda designed to make the undesirables something less than human. For instance, um, Kutu propaganda described Tutsis as cockroaches. And therefore, those are things to be killed. Those are things to be exterminated. Therefore, it's good to do this. It's good to therefore join in uh, the genocide. Because if you kill the uh, undesirable thing, you as the desirable thing are protected. But it has to start with seeing your enemy as something that is not human anymore. So that way, the image of God is stripped from them. Um, This was the language that was used in the cornerstone speech given by uh, Alexander Stevens, uh, the vice president of the Confederacy, as to what he needed to have his uh, members of that state view slaves as. And that way he could, they could understand what they were fighting for. Um, in 
the like long examples leading up to Kristallnacht and then later on in uh, Nazi Germany, the propaganda showing uh, people with stereotypically Jewish features as spiders, as rats, as things that had to be exterminated in order to be seen as safe. Like that's the crucial step in any genocide is dehumanization first. We see that very clearly in the abortion debate. Yes. It's just a clump of cells. Mm-hmm. It's not, and they will, you know, they'll go through, the people I talk to go through great lengths to ignore what science and what biologists say. Um, and, you know, if you don't agree with someone politically, it's not unusual to be told you're crazy, you're insane. And that's a step to stripping you of your human dignity. Mm-hmm. So it's it's happening. It's it's around, and it's always happening to some degree in society. But yeah. we have so much tension in our society now; it's really ramped up. Yeah, where the people you disagree with are no longer human, or shouldn't have access to basic human dignity, or shouldn't or listen lesser, to lesser level. Right. Um, Thaddeus Williams, in his appendices, provides a lot of really good sources, but also specific arguments for things. Um, and Appendix A is about abortion. And his first question is, is, a ba- is it a baby? And therefore, does the baby have the image of God? Mm-hmm. Um, and just recognizing, again, how central dehumanization is, that we, we can't see people we want to mistreat as human. Because once we do that, it's much harder to to carry through with your atrocity. Because you can't have them be human. You can't have you can't acknowledge that image of God in them. I mean, it's what Paulette you said, like seeing the face, how crucial that is, and how much that has been stripped from a lot of social media like interaction. Mm-hmm. Because there isn't a face. There's a username. Like, has anyone gone on Twitter for more than five minutes and not want to just boil their own eyes out? Like, it's. <laughs> It's bad. You go to fam- sites, you go to certain sites with you have family on, and you stick with that. We have a little two-year-old niece that we follow. Aww. right? And that's the most uplifting thing on there. <laughs> right? Her mom posts something almost every day. So. Yeah. But I think... You know, many Americans if in on the abortion issue, pro-life issue, have, because of sonograms and science and all that, have seen the, the unborn child as a human, as a mm-hmm. person. And there's been tremendous growth in that. Mm-hmm. And, and that is very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's many people that won't deny that unless they're, I guess, far on the other side. So, yeah. That's an example of maybe progress and humanizing. Scientists deal with science. And and when they get to what's a human, now they're not in their field. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, they can say what is alive and not alive, and they can say what has human DNA and not human DNA. But then there's a whole concept of personhood. Yes. Right. Yeah, but that's not science. Not, it's, yeah, and that's right. not just yeah. an abortion. Separated from being human. Yeah. 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 It's very on purpose. <laughs> yeah. If you can separate someone from from their personhood, then you can treat them as an object. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they might be technically human, but not a person. Therefore, they can be executed. 
but again, it's just careful dehumanization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I think it's cool in our society that, you know, a pilot, when he's talking about how many people are on board mm -hmm. or on a ship, they say how many souls yeah. are mm -hmm. on board. And they do that unapologetically. That's really part of the, the language. Well, there's so much in our culture from history about a Judeo-Christian view of humanity. And you mentioned that if you separate someone from image, you have the eye. Like Greek, um, you can do things to them, but why? Why? Why is that? In the Roman era, mm -hmm. it wasn't even a concept, mm -hmm. so there was no need to take that step of separation before you enslaved somebody or mm -hmm. did whatever you wanted to do to them. And so we're still, but the rest of society are still trying to erase that, even that concept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Didn't the Romans say hate your enemies? Mm. Wasn't that? I mean, they had a lot of, in their military in particular, they had a lot of dehumanizing uh, language towards like the tribes they conquered, particularly the, the Gaul, the uh, Celtic tribes when they invaded Britain. There was a lot of dehumanizing language that um, they used to justify conquest because since they were uncivilized, Romans could fix them. That was a lot of the same language that was used for the conquistadors. Since they're not, um, they're human, but they're not our level of human. So therefore we have to help them, right? That was part of the advertising language for like the Massachusetts Bay Colony, I think, was uh, people drew a depiction of a Native American and said, please come save me on it um, in order to justify then that like um, colonization effort. So there's always been dehumanizing language, even if it doesn't impact every aspect of the society, it still impacts the major parts when it comes to justifying the spread of the Roman Empire in particular. There was a lot of dehumanizing done. Well, when Paul wrote, love your enemies, Jesus said, mm -hmm. that was the exact opposite yeah, of something yeah. that was said mm -hmm. in Rome. Yeah, right. hate your, mm -hmm. It was dominate. You, know, you love, love your friends and hate your enemies. Right. It's not like the mafia, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even then, with the times of the Romans, um, they already had that separation ingrained in their mind yeah. with there's us and then there's them. Mm -hmm. We are Romans and they are barbarians. They are they're not civilized people. Right. They're they're not as advanced as we are. So we have we are completely in our rights to go out and conquer these people to bring in our own civilization into theirs. And um, I think that same type of mindset is definitely pure in our modern society because you see people that dehumanize others that disagree with them. They're mm -hmm. basically saying there is us and then there is them. Right. And they have to agree with us 100%. His, uh, I mean, this is mentioned in the foreword by John Perkins' book, but Thaddeus Williams' major warning is against that kind of thinking, against that tribalism of us versus them. And I think, I know it's hard because ultimately when all things come to an end, it, it will be us versus yeah. them. But particularly, not necessarily us versus them. It's a different way to phrase it. It's him versus them. Mm -hmm. And so we are supposed to be united in Christ, which therefore calls for unity. 
um, and not necessarily pride in who we belong to uh, as in something that we deserve or we have earned on our own merit. It's uh, recognizing that God is due what God is due. So we can't really ever participate in that us versus them mentality, even as believer versus non-believer, which that language is used a lot in you know Christian circles, not necessarily for any malicious reason, but that um, can lead to, I think, sometimes justification to not evangelize because they're not part of us. Was the Cortez example in chapter two or one? I read it's it. in both. Oh. Yeah, but it, it's main, mainly explained in one. Yeah, but, but the whole thing there is money and power. That was it. You know, the, the, the Aztecs wanted the power and they did their things and the Spanish wanted the money. Mm -hmm. That was what drove it all. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, so all three of these questions in part one, which is the overarching question of Jehovah or Jezebel, all of them are really about idolatry. So the one for next session, which will be in November, and I will double check the date and grace notes. I think it's November the 9th, but I'll double check. It can't be November the 9th. I think in society oh. we, some, we see something that I would call um, partially created in the image yeah. of God. Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, and that's what leads to prejudice. So not an, a total all-out they versus us. But to give an example, and I cannot remember who said this. I thought it was Jimmy the Greek, but I looked and I don't believe it was. But somebody, and I thought it was a sportscaster, said, well, you know, it's great for blacks to play football, but they don't have the capability of being a quarterback. And I cannot remember who said that. And I was thinking it was a sportscaster, and he lost his job for it. Um, Jimmy the Greek said something far less, and he lost his job for that, too. Um, and that's been a number of years ago, but I think in the 21st century. So not that long ago. I think it's important to remember that a lot of the things we talk about is like quintessential examples of human evil were really not that long ago. <laughs> That's, and then there's also that kind of casual evil as well, which is kind of casual dehumanization or leveling of people, the hierarchy of being. Um, that's very much like something that really people easily fall into. Like, I don't know if you guys... I don't know why I do this to myself, but like going down in the YouTube comment section on like even like simple videos about like a guy cooking through Julia Child's cookbook or something, there'll be someone who makes a mistake in a comment and all the threads underneath it are about like their intellectual level. And sometimes <laughs> they'll always be like, oh, I hope you don't breed. Oh. And that is that like mentality, how much that was echoed in the eugenics policies. And this state in particular, Virginia, has a, has an ugly history with eugenics. And just, like, just seeing how, how casually we slip into that kind of thinking of that you don't deserve this kind of life. You don't deserve um, that kind of respect or dignity because we don't see you as being made in the image of God. And that was for forgetting an apostrophe sometimes. Like, just how quickly we slip into that. It gets kind of scary with that, too, because a lot of it is bots. Yeah. Sort of like mass post stuff and what it it's nefarious because it's somebody doing that to influence people. 
was they read it and now people start agreeing with it. It gets yeah. people exposed to that sort of idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's scary because there's someone out there, there are people out there who are actively trying to do that. Right. It's online radicalization is, I think, more prevalent than we maybe want to talk about, especially when you look at like algorithmic services, like for instance, TikTok, mm-hmm. that'll just keep sending you stuff. And so if you work your way down into a rabbit hole that is tagged with a particularly nefarious hashtag, it will start sending you more of that because you've watched the one. And so it's how online radicalization happens a lot and often happens without people realizing it, that suddenly they're on, you know, a a thread that talks about women as not being real people Mm -hmm. and uh, calls for, you know, action against those who disagree with you. And it happens on every slide part of the ideological spectrum, this kind of online radicalization. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's an algorithm. It doesn't really know what side it's on. It just, right. It's on all it sides all the time. It's and deep data and big data and all that stuff. Yeah. It's very hard to um, avoid that type of stuff, especially on the internet. It's just yeah. everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Well, another thing about the dehumanization, it runs in parallel with Darwinianism. Yes. Survival of the fittest. The fittest mm-hmm. deserve to survive because they're the fittest. Right. And if they're not the fittest. And in fact, it's a moral good for the fittest to survive right. and the non-fittest yes. not to survive because you can't advance the species unless that happens. Right. Well, yeah. eugenics was first called social Darwinism. Yeah. And, and, and what Francis Galton was Darwin's cousin who then gave it the name eugenics. And what farmer breeds his animals that have, you know, birth defects? You don't do that. Mm-hmm. So, they're the ones you slaughter. Those are animals. Right. But we're animals too, according to Darwin. So. Mm-hmm. That's what he mentions as part of being in that box. How do we understand people? How do we understand ourselves? And if we narrow it to just that one lens of interpretation as to what value people contribute, then inevitably you end up in ugly places because we don't, we don't see them as created by a supreme being. We don't see them as inherently having value because they bear his image. Yeah. We look at, and you know, people have, to society, they have different values, they have different jobs, they get different pay, they do different whatever, but in God's eyes, there's, there's a whole different aspect of value. Yeah. Which is precious. So we should always be trying to witness to people. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. I don't go through all these mental things. I mean, it's like, can I get some word in in a conversation and turn it to something? Mm-hmm. But it's, and we, we're not looking, you know, if you read the stuff about witnessing in the word, it doesn't talk about the image of God. You just witness to people that save, not save, even you save your, you know, you, James ends with, you know, rescuing your brother from sin. Uh, you know, you've erased a multitude of things. So that's, shouldn't that be what, I mean, the focus is, I came out of an academic institution. I, I hate academics. I had a friend who worked in Hollywood and he hated Hollywood, but he made a good living in Hollywood. But, uh, uh, so anyhow, I, I, but it's just the opportunity to witness wherever that is and whenever you get their foot in the door. So 
Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about Putin. So, I mean, I, I try to witness to him if I can get to him. But I, you know, it's but what about Putin? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you talk about Lenin, Stalin, Khrush, you know, <laughs> Putin, but uh, but you'd still witness. I think Paul. It says he breathed slaughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, the church didn't have rest until he got saved. It says he got saved, and then the church had rest. Mm -hmm. He was a really bad guy. Yeah. Jesus witnessed to him. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so he was a good example for object example of yeah. the worst. Uh, you know, I think he really believed he was a less than the least of all the saints because, you know, he, perse he persecuted the church. He didn't say, well, I killed people. But that's what he did said in other places. I imprisoned them. And, you know, the punishment, the capital punishment. So, yeah. Chief of sinners. Mm -hmm. Chief of sinners. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would definitely want to... Um, Witness to Putin because he even wanted to get to the King of Rome to witness That's him right. as well. Yeah. So. If we believe that whatever you want to call it, pride, arrogance, self-centeredness is a root sin or a foundational sin to other sins, I think that we could argue that the pluralistic dimension of that is prejudice. Mm -hmm. And I think every racial group is prejudiced because it's part of the fallen nature, therefore. And so it's going to be the default position that people are going to hold, mm -hmm. at least that unbelievers are, are going to hold. So it's something we should expect. It's something that's huge. And it's going to be something that's difficult to overcome. And I think that when we talk about created in the image of God is a, is a way of theologizing that, but also ramping it up and taking it to a very high level. I think it's, it's a really kind of complex mystery as to how we can view everyone as being created in the image of God and yet recognize that not everyone belongs to God. Like, and that isn't a parsing that we do. It shouldn't be a parsing that we do. It's ultimately up to God. Um, but there will eventually be that separation and that separation will be eternal based on the relationship and what claim we have to Christ. I think it gets really, really tempting to um, descend kind of into whataboutism but also to justify why grace shouldn't be extended to a certain person. Like there definitely were in the early example of Paul, um, there definitely were people who did not want to interact with him because of his history. Um, there were, um, you know, it's very tempting to not want to go talk to a particular uh, ideological group because you know it won't go anywhere. And so therefore, like, why bother? Why invite that kind of stress into your own life? And like, this is something that I, I struggle with. 
just based on, you know, choices that individuals in my family have made. And sometimes it's just easier to be like, hey, nice to see you than get into it, which we've we've done before and the hurt that that brings with it. And so I think this is just something really convicting to remember that people are made in the image of God, but also to remember that God created some wrestles for glorification and some wrestles for just some vessels for destruction. And we are not privy to that knowledge. And also said, I just came up as he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I forget the first part. It was like, don't do bad. Don't take vengeance <laughs> or whatever. What is it? In Romans or, but he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Rich he's may say it. Yeah. Is it? It's in the New Testament. Yeah, it's quoted in the New Testament. Yeah. Let's find out. But I, I can't remember what the first part is. <laughs> I got you. Don't think you um, vengeance or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leaving for the wrath of God. Yeah. Don't return evil for evil. Here we go. Where's yes. hearing it on it? <laughs> okay. I would just say it's God's business to judge. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, that's not on us. Because you could do a, you, know, you could see someone walking down the street and they look to you like the meanest, baddest, worst person in the world. But if you talk to them, who knows? Right? Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. right? And if they are the meanest, baddest person, then God's going to deal with them on that. <laughs> yeah, so it's just not our business. Yeah, yeah judge right. a bird by his cover. Recommended not to judge those who are outside the church. That the those people are outside our community, mm -hmm. so we don't mm -hmm. have a right to um, not impose on them, but just not to judge their actions because they're not one of us. What do you mean? Don't judge their actions. I, I, I worded that a bit wrong, but. <laughs> So clarify. Yes. Um. Initially, the verse, sorry, to go back to that, it's from uh, the Song of Moses. It's in Deuteronomy 32. Um, it's, it pretty much just says, vengeance is mine, and recompense for their time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Yeah, it's dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For this yeah. right. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Romans 12, 19. Yeah, that's the New Testament quotation. But, sorry to interrupt, Elijah. I was just like, I found it! So, did you is, like... Yeah, yes, yeah. Is, your, is, your, is what you're trying to say is that you're expecting people to be sinners. Yeah, I expect them to be sinners. You, you don't expect them to be godly because they're not in the church, they're not of the, the church community. Also, we shouldn't be passing wrath, as mm -hmm. that verse says, on them, because that's God's, um, that's God's job, not ours. And a salvific purpose? Well, or our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and authorities of the spiritual realm. So we shouldn't be making war against. Um, you say judge actions, are you talking about when people do... Did I say judge actions? I think so, yeah. That's what you're saying, yeah. Because, like, we have yeah. 
Well, I did we, have, we have God's standard, which is scripture. Mm -hmm. So we're encouraged to judge people's actions. So you have to judge people's actions based on the standard, which is mm -hmm. God's law. So um, prejudice is I'm going to judge you based on how you look. Mm -hmm. But if I see you robbing a convenience store, <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's you're, you're stealing. So that's, I'm, I'm judging your action, but I'm not saying you're not going to hell. Um, I, I don't have the right to say that, you know, because um, that's up to God. Uh, it's our business to witness to the person. Yeah. So going back to what Dan was saying, mm -hmm. if you combine the two, yeah. you have to tell them the good news. But right. Good news isn't good news without the bad news. Right. Mm -hmm. If you don't tell them you're a sinner, you're sinning, just like I am, right. I'm a sinner. If I don't repent, Right. Then I'm destined for a certain place. Right. Yeah. Right. Because so, I was headed to hell uh, before I came to Christ, mm -hmm. just as you were. Yeah. Right. Um, you can't get the person to that point if you don't say, "Okay, I'm judging your action," which is you just you just did a heinous sin, mm -hmm. and God will judge you for that. You know. So, um, so you have to say this is wrong before you can show them what's right. Well, that takes maturity, a lot of maturity and love and yeah. the, the help of the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah. you know, because you have to walk into those situations loving that individual and hating the sin. Mm -hmm. And I know I bristle even when there's differences of political opinions mm -hmm. or where I am in my walk, where somebody else is in their walk. And um, I mean, I'll give a dumb illustration. I was in a, there was someone in my opinion who was highly religious and hurting people in the group of teachers that I taught with. And she would always come in railing every day. And because of that, it was giving a bad image of Christianity. That was what she was known for, was always on everybody's case about everything. And she was in one day coming in on another railing, and I just, out, and it was not out of love, it was out of smirky snideness. I just off the cuff looked at her and said, you would not be a real close friend to David's, would you? And then walked out. And I was talking about, and she knew what I was talking about, King David, who was the sinner, blah, 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 and it made perfect sense to her. And then my friend, who was a very godly person, I mean, it just shut her down, and she didn't know how to turn. But I didn't do it in love, and it was such a quick thing that only if you were sharp, walking in love, would you have even picked it up. And my friend, who was a very godly, loving woman, walked in, she goes, that wasn't very loving, was it, Lori? That was, no. <laughs> and I went back and apologized to her personally later. You know, um, but all of that can happen so quickly. There probably was a very godly, kind, loving, helpful way to have worked in that situation that God would have provided had I asked him instead of just gone out with my opinion and my judgment and my feelings and all that human stuff. So the maturity that it takes to keep your eyes on your own paper, take a breath, walk in love, you know, because those things happen all the time now in every conversation, even within your friends. You know, 
you can walk in, into a group and say, I just got a COVID shot. So, well, I've never gotten all of a sudden, there it is. <laughs> now, now, what do you do? Yeah. Don't know. Do you just say nothing? You got to stop, pray, and say, I don't know. It's, you've got to handle every situation as it comes up with your eyes on your own walk, in prayer, in love, with tremendous grace and maturity. I mean, it's hard. I think back to Christ's illustration of the two prayers that would have been acceptable, of the Pharisee versus the tax collector, of uh, the poison of self-righteousness, which is a self-defeating system, but how easily it is to fall into it because we have uh, a knowledge or a particular viewpoint or a particular history that we feel makes us superior in some aspect to others. And then how quickly that turns from gratitude to self-congratulation that we you know we were smart enough to figure it out. We were special enough to, to be part of the club. Um, it's that desire to be in the inner circle. It's what makes um, like tiered uh, false religions such as Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses is what makes them so alluring is this idea of what if you are that one? What if you are one of the 144,000? What if you can make it all the way to the celestial kingdom because of how special you are? Um, and just ultimately how that can't be our standard because what all of us deserve is hell. And yet it's that dichotomy again of, of being made in the image of God and yet not belonging to God. Like, well, belonging to God, but not in a way that works its way toward reunion and rested, like restitution or um, like understanding what has been covered for us by Christ. It's that weird, like, how do we walk both those things? It's that, you know, Martin Luther phrase of like simultaneously justified and sinning. Like how that's such a weird thing to walk because it, it is so tempting to once you come into an understanding of like uh, reform theology or of the gospel, how like you just get a hit of superiority that you figured it out and other people <laughs> haven't yet. I mean, why else do we have the cage stage when it comes to like internet <laughs> theology? Because once you figure it out, you just should probably stay away from people for a while until you calm down and view it with maturity that you're not some special, incredible person who figured it out all of a sudden God was gracious to you. That's a really important thing, I think, to keep in mind. You know, the one thing that helps me with that is those, are those mature examples. I know I've got the Word. I know I've got Christ. I know I've got the Holy Spirit. But boy, when I have a mature brother or sister in Christ that really walks in love, mm -hmm. like my friend that walked in the other room and just gave me the look. You know, I know her because I know her. I mean, sure. As far as her maturity goes, I mean, holy smoke, you know, and, and that gives it our responsibility in the body of Christ yeah. to be who we are supposed to be in Christ consistently. I mean, I bristle at religious talk. That's one of my things. <laughs> you know, I just, it just bothers me. You know, it just does because I just need to see the love of God in action in people's lives. I just, you know, that works for me, even when it reproves me. Well, something you bring up 
a couple times is I find it's easier many times to be forgiving and tolerant to non-Christians because their sin is a symptom of what we know is the deepest problem. But when it comes to getting along with some of my brothers and sisters, sometimes that's really hard because I have certain expectations. I mean, you know the word, why don't they agree with me kind of thing. <laughs> and um, I've seen some, and I've been party to some very cruel things that I would regret towards brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, sometimes you're really a good friend and you can have an argument, you can you give and take, and it's, it's, you know them and it's fun and, and you like to talk and debate things. And sometimes it's not. So you um, have to be so careful. Yeah, that, you do. Because you do. the takeaways afterwards, mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched, and I think guys are more apt to do that, and maybe I'm wrong, the joking that goes around. Mm-hmm. You know, words have consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they just do. Yeah, I was going to say that sometimes it's easier for me to look at um, my non-Christian family members or non-Christian mm-hmm. friends and see them in, as an image bearer mm-hmm. of God, as, but look at people who are believers who either have misused their power or mistreated somebody or something in, you know, and try to see them as an image bearer of Christ. <laughs> so They have a greater knowledge of what you would think. They'd have a greater knowledge of what is expected of them because of divine revelation. And therefore, their character, uh, their actions should reflect that. And so, I guess you're seeing the anger, I guess, you're feeling there is. They're not living up to what they should be. So the 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 greater uh, knowledge you have, the greater responsibility you have to, towards that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Way to I, go, Spider Man! Is that Spider Man? Great power comes great responsibility. Well, I didn't quite. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, it's kind of a strange kind of trap. They're in my tribe. Why aren't they on my team? Kind of thing. So it's, it's a sense it, of betrayal. It hurts more when your yes. brother or sister betrays you mm-hmm. than some stranger. Right. And the Apostle Paul echoed that. He yes. said, I'm in tears over the church. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that have been helpful is, and I think I talked about it in the women's group, you know, is I have been listing out what are the characteristics of the love of God out of Corinthians 13. It's not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. It's concrete things I'm responsible for. And I have them there, and in uncomfortable situations, I'll pull up my list. Like, okay, I'm, am I responding in love to the situation? No, I'm thinking evil, right? <laughs> well, that's not good. Am I being easily provoked? Yes. Okay, take a breath. Pray. Ask God what the, the next thing is to do. But it holds me accountable for here and the things that I'm doing. You know, it just... So I have tension that I guess we all probably deal with but so everyone's an image bearer but if you have a tyrant who is actually hurting people yeah doing destructive things I mean you just want to you know you just have so much anger towards them now there's there's that righteous anger and I think there's times when you gotta lay down the hammer and Paul does it in Galatians for those who are saying the contrary gospel. He tells them to emasculate themselves. Yep. He doesn't mince any words there. Yeah. So <laughs> I think there's times for laying down the hammer. And in that sense, you're respecting 
the dignity of others that are being hurt by that right. particular yes. person. There are a lot of judgment calls like this. But that comes back to the maturity, knowing when when to lay down the hammer. Right. And at, at what level. But then you would do it clearly and cleanly with no shame. You'd know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had those times when you've known that was the right thing to do. You know, but like in that situation with the lady, I knew right after that, that was not the right thing to do. But at other times, it may have been. Mm-hmm. That's the maturity, mm-hmm. I think, that comes in. Right, and if you follow Matthew 18, the, mm-hmm. you know, your friend came to you. She didn't gossip to the three other Christians mm-hmm. in your building. She went to you first, right? And if that weren't, if that weren't, if that didn't work, she was to go to other mature Christians and try to figure out what to do next. But as Christians, if there are hurts, there's not enough of the following of that process of going back to someone and talking about the issue and reconciling, so, which we're supposed to do. Yeah. And we're supposed to be close enough to be able to do that in our walks and as a family. Yeah, maybe, yeah but Matthew 18 doesn't, I don't think it presupposes familiarity. I think it just says believers, this is what you're supposed to do. And we don't do that. What did Matthew 18? The, what, what Mark was saying. The proper way to so first address you go discipline. To, or, oh, okay. You go to the person one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you would go to church leadership and, and or bring another person with you, one or two with you. If that doesn't work, bring it to the larger leadership. Yeah, I don't think we did that at all. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> it's one of those things that gets at our pride because we don't want to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Or we don't want to fear like I'm kind of friends with this guy. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, or or we fear the other person. Yeah. Yeah. We'd rather go to the authorities and discreetly and so take care of it. And if they're truly in the wrong and you're too afraid to say something to them, then you're actually not respecting them. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not correcting them for their own benefit. Yeah. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes only a good friend will confront you if, if your breath is bad or, you know, things like that. Those are precious people. I think it's kind of interesting just the kind of weird societal dance we do around what's considered to be our problem. And so, like, if there's something that's really uncomfortable, we automatically decide that that's not my problem. And so, therefore, I don't have to deal with it. But then if there's something that you're very passionate about and you want to make it everyone's problem, because that's also very common language of just, like, I'm going to make it your problem then. Um, And just that how eager we are to accept responsibility when it shows that we are good and gracious and smart and how quickly we are to separate ourselves from any kind of error when it's proven that that is, you know, a faulty logical um, conclusion to arrive at. Um, it, I think it's really fascinating, but it's also something I'm guilty of just because I'm a human and therefore a sinner of looking at like signs when I have been right about something and just like, like wanting to show that to everyone and being like, see, I was right. And then when I was wrong about something, just being like, Oh, okay, never mind. Like that's <laughs> y'all don't need to know that. I, but I was really tired, and so there's always a reason. There's always some kind of justification as to why um, I can't accept responsibility for the error. I can only accept credit. Um, and I think, I mean, I'd like to think I'm not the only person in that sort of really hypocritical state of existence. 
Um, but I think that's one of those really hard things to parse out is how do we do this without sinking into hypocrisy? How do we value everyone as image bearers without sinking into self-congratulation, self-righteousness, um, false humility, all of those really pernicious evils that ultimately boil down to, to pride and idolatry, the original sin, um, as Tim mentioned earlier. <clears throat> and I, I mean that rhetorically, I don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> and while we're doing all that, we have to avoid over-self-introspection. Well. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think we have to accept that we're in the sanctification process. Mm -hmm. So we can do what is good and right and suitable and have mixed motives. Yeah. But repent to God about the, the bad part, but don't let that stop you from doing what needs to be done as well. Um, so I, you know, most of what I do is mixed motives. Yeah. You know, I can see that. Um, but that's kind of where we are pre heaven. <laughs> the, the idea is hopefully our desire to have God's majesty explode in the situation is it becomes more and more our greatest desire. Yeah. So. I'm still thinking about what Tim said. And that's a very difficult thing to deal with. When you see someone in a position of power who's abusing that power mm -hmm. and other people, other image bearers are being hurt by it. But yet we look at this guy and he's created in the image of God as well. How do we view him? Or to bring it down on a more personal level, someone in a position of power in our own circle, whether it be where we work, whether it's the CEO or a supervisor or an office manager um, who is misusing that power, and we have to deal with them personally. Um, we can talk about, yeah, it takes a lot of maturity just to tweak that a little bit, it takes a lot of wisdom. Encourage. Mm -hmm. What's that? Encourage, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been spending a lot more time in the book of Proverbs than I have for a while. And it seems like even though I'm familiar with these verses, almost every verse I'm reading is just hitting me with the depth of wisdom that it contains that I hadn't seen before. Um, it's a great resource. But, but also along with what Tim was saying is the verse in Proverbs, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord, in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he will. And I have to admit, I frequently pray, Lord, I'd like to see you do that a lot more these days. <laughs> <laughs> but what if he does? Well. He does, but it might not be the way we would want God to do it. Right. It might be through us. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's funny the elections, people are saying, oh, you know, um, such and such is president because God chose him to be president. Well, God chose Hitler to be chancellor. God chose Stalin. <laughs> so saying that this is predestined doesn't really say anything, but God does work through different people, different roles and stuff like that. And in different ways. Yeah, yeah it's part of that tough uh, understanding of his sovereignty and how as a supremely good being evil does still exist and is allowed to rise to positions of power through his sovereignty not as the originator of that evil or as the doer of that evil but as the supreme being that's just hard 
that he has a plan and it will all work out for yeah. for this for God's glory. To and those who love him. Mm-hmm. According to his purpose. According to his purpose. Everything will work out for those who have been predestined. What is he responsible for and what am I responsible for? God's yeah. pretty clear on his directives. You know, I mean, just I, I, not to overstate that, you know, something simple as the list in Corinthians. I mean, that's overwhelming. That, took that, you know, or in Philippians where it talks about all the things that we're supposed to put on in Ephesians. There's enough of these little things in that process of sanctification that keep me busy. You know, <laughs> the rest of the stuff's going to happen. I can't control who's going to nuke who. You know, <laughs> you know as, as soon as I think I've solved that problem, it goes completely sideways wow i wasn't expecting that to happen you know i mean look at what's happened in the last couple of years mm-hmm. you know it's just nutty <laughs> so I'm just this is what i can do right here we're praying yeah. praying for this I, I think we uh we know where to look when it comes to what are we supposed to do right so it's like we know like the bible open your bible and it's like oh yeah it tells us like when people align us people treat us wrong when there's injustices you know we, we're given instructions on how to handle these things but i think we live in such a pragmatic world that it's like oh that's not gonna work mm-hmm. you know and where i'm gonna be i'm gonna be sworn scrutinized by people for doing the right thing so i might as well just go with the crowd and say okay yeah that's obviously wrong let's you know throw this guy in prison for their some life and stuff without giving the person due process or something like that mm-hmm. right it's like oh yeah he was in a position of power he did this bad thing and therefore i'm going to agree with the crowd and we're going to do mob justice and then you know that's not justice yeah. according to what scripture says right and so I think the, the pragmatism is um, harmful. Yeah. And I think it's very easy for us as Christians to, um, because we have compassion, um, it's very easy for us to go along with the crowd. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's kind of interesting to me anyway, just looking at like language and, and linguistics and where phrases originate from, that kind of a rallying cry among more theologically progressive churches is the idea of love wins that that there isn't necessarily bad news in the system that it's god is love and therefore just love god and love people and that kind of being a reality not just around like uh, people who identify as deconstruction in christians or uh progressive christians but also people who identify as like humanists secular humanists and just seeing the good in everyone and just love god and love people and i think the dreadful irony is love God and love people is a paraphrase of Christ's paraphrase of the Ten Commandments. And so you still can't escape from God's supreme law, even in that like pithy, just love wins, love God and love people. I, I appreciate that Thaddeus Williams quotes from Augustine. Um, Augustine. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Augustine. Sorry. German. Vigues, yeah. Of course I do. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> um, what page? But it's on page 22. Um, and he 
talks about uh, the famous Sermon on Love. And so it says near the middle of page 22, in a Sermon on Love, he attempted to summon, sum up the entire Christian ethic with the famous line, love God and do what you want. But if I treasure God as God, that first affection should recalibrate all my other affections, my other wants. Mm -hmm. I won't want to lie to you since you bear the noble image of the God I love most. I won't want to steal your stuff or your spouse because you carry the unique image of the God I love most. I won't want to exploit you as a means to my own selfish ends since you are made me irreducibly valuable image of the God I love most. Love God, the ultimate other, and you will give those who bear your beloved's image the respect they are due. So love God and love people is not just a, a get out of jail free card of just letting people do whatever they want. Loving God comes with criteria and that therefore recalibrates everything else. If you love God as you were called to in the first and greatest commandment, that will spiral into how you love people. Right. Another way to put it is you can't divorce truth from grace. Mm -hmm. So if you're just giving grace, 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 you know, Christ was full of both truth and grace. Yeah. They need both when you're loving God and loving people. Yeah, it's that very famous example of the woman caught in adultery, which, first of all, where's the man? Second of all, um, the he who is without sin cast the first stone. And some people see that as like, well, then, you know, we can't judge anyone. But there was one being there who could have thrown stones. <clears throat> it's the one saying that. And who then said, now go sin no more. Now go and sin. <laughs> Neither do I continue, condemn you, but now go and sin no more. So both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus saying that you cannot separate truth from love. Mm -hmm. If there's love without truth, it's not genuine love. It is, right. Mm -hmm. First John, if you love me, you'll mm -hmm. keep my commandments. Yeah. So well, he's real clear. Well, I'm thinking of how we treat other people. Oh, yeah. If we say we're treating them lovingly, but it's not in truth, mm -hmm. if we separate yeah. love from truth, that's not genuine, at least biblical, right. love. You're, yeah. mm -hmm. oh. And that's the pro whole problem with neo-evangelicalism and what's come after that. One of the early pastors of this church, Bob Hopper, had a two-axis quadrant, yes. he had the axis of love, the axis of, was it truth or? Truth and grace. Yeah, and one was like um, legalism, and then what was the other one? Well, if you think of the quadrant, yeah, high truth, positive, negative, low grace, those are truth bombs. Mm -hmm. You know, you're an evil homosexual, and you know, goes my nuclear bomb on you. If you're low on grace and low on truth, then you're, I, I forget the specifics, but if you think about the four quadrants and the combinations of high or low in truth and grace, Jesus was high on truth and high on grace. And it's as our example, it's a neat tool. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. So when the guy robs the convenience store and he's coming out, you should call the police and report it, yeah. right? Because <laughs> that's true. That's loving to Yeah, that's right. Because if there's justice, the if there's justice and he's sitting in jail, you may be able to deal with his soul. Or if you're big, strong, young man, stop him. Love the owner of convenience store if I stop him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't commit, don't forget the convenience store owner. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. I'm loving him by stopping the crime. Like, yeah, he right. may be 
he may have good intentions because he may be trying to feed his family. And that's the only way he can get money or whatever. But it's like you're stealing money from this guy's family, <laughs> you know. So it's it's not. That's, yeah. Are you guys the, the Kurtz morality scale? I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. Uh, there's this like hypothetical situation of a man called Heinz whose wife is dying. Mark is nodding, so I'm not. I'm not crazy. <laughs> um, and depending on how mature a person is, their answers will be different because there's nuance that's added. Where um, Heinz's wife is dying, and there's a medicine that will save her, and there's one doctor in the town who has the medicine, but he is purposefully charging way too much money for it. And so Heinz steals the medicine to save his wife. Did, did he do something wrong? And then you kind of get a, a wide variety of like questions and answers of like people being like, yes, he stole. That is clearly against the Ten Commandments. He stole something that wasn't his. But then there's the question of what was the doctor doing? If the doctor was knowingly charging too much for the medicine on purpose, isn't the doctor also stealing from his community? And so there's like a lot of questions that come with that, which ultimately boils down to both Heinz and the doctor need God. That's where we should be. It's where we have to it's end. It's the same principle as lying to the Nazis as you're a Jew in your attic. Yeah. But I think the difference with that is though, is that in, in a, in a just society, you have, you can go to the authorities and be like, hey, this is happening. Right. As opposed to Nazi Germany, you know, they are the authorities. <laughs> right. you know, so it's, I, I think, so that's I an, think yeah. can, there's an appeal that you can make at least, at least make an appeal first. Right. Well, um, there's, before yeah. you condone yeah. thievery. You know, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, we were talking. I was just, I've actually talked about that with many people. Yeah. I think that it's important to realize the hierarchy of basic human rights. Mm -hmm. Property rights are important, but the right to life is probably one of the very highest rights. Yeah. So like the illustration I use is you're trapped in a burn, someone is trapped in a burning car and this other person has a crowbar and you can get them out with a crowbar, but he won't let you act, go into his garage to grab the crowbar. Well, I'm gonna go in the garage and get the crowbar. I mean, because that person's right to life is more important than this right to property. Mm -hmm. So there's you know speech, association, all these rights that we, through the Judeo-Christian heritage, we, we recognize. Yeah. And the right to life is right up there. And so there's a hierarchy that needs to be thought through, and most people have. I think it, it's always that important question of, of discerning the difference between legal and moral. How there are things that were legally allowed that were evil, mm -hmm. but on all accounts of an earthly justice system were perfectly legal and therefore you were breaking the law if you didn't follow an immoral command. And so like understanding that there is that difference between legal and moral because our law that we should follow comes from God who marries both of those things perfectly as the one righteous being. That legal and moral in his system coincide just because you can do it legally doesn't mean you should do it. Right. And vice versa. Um, right. So that's a nuance a lot of people miss. Mm -hmm. I think. Corey Ten Boom's, Ten Boom's family is a good example of that. Yeah. So it was illegal to right. hide you know, or even be with the Jews. Mm -hmm. You know, but was it morally right to right. try to save them? Yeah, and with that uh, moral question, is Rahab justified in lying about uh, where the two spies were? Yeah. 
if I remember correctly, she's in the Hall of Faith. So mm -hmm. she was completely justified. Yeah. In lying. She's in the genealogy of Christ. She's yeah. one of five women yeah. mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Yeah. Well, not everyone mentioned there did everything right, but I mm -hmm. certainly agree that she did the right thing. Yeah. I think we're called to obey the law of God with a heavy dose of respect to the law of man as well. Mm -hmm. But the law of God is clearly superior. I mean, I think it all boils down to the point that people around the circle have been making again, which is that maturity, that understanding of, of who you are in relation to God, what was done for you, and now what you can do for others. And understanding that, again, that hierarchy of authority that you mentioned, that there is a law that is higher than others. And we have a way of knowing that law, but we also have a call in the New Testament to obey unjust people or to like deal with um, people who are abusing that power, who are outside of our circle of believers. And that's just one of the, the torments of being on earth still, that that's going to happen. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes, certain chapters of it anyway, that this is going to be unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Like one of the things, you know, two or three witnesses have to witness something before yeah. you can bring a charge against that person. Um, that's at least how it was in the Old Testament. And uh, which means people get away with stuff. But it's better that that happens than throwing an innocent guy in jail. Mm -hmm. yeah. So stuff like <laughs> that just seems so bad to us, you know, it's like we want everyone. But it's because we forget, you know, God's the judge. Yeah. Like. They may get away with it here, but in the next life, they're not going to get away with it. And we forget that because um, we've just, we've become more secular in our thought when it comes to justice, I think. I didn't know how the study this group was going to be, so I have been reading like a lot of the book, and I so have enjoyed that he is so focused on the word. Yeah, because there's so much stuff out there now, mm -hmm. you know, um, social, psychological, cultural garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, I just got a Bible. <laughs> what does the word say? And even within theological discussions, it's no, 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 Bible. What does it say? Because it's just so much out there. You know, and, and so I appreciate his simplicity and the focus on, okay, well, what does the word say? You know, so I, I've really enjoyed that about this book. Yeah, and when Jesus was um, being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, mm -hmm. he didn't spat out opinions and he quoted scripture, quoted commands from God. So... Yeah, it's a very it's very important to um, combat and confront the evil of the world with the word of God. Yeah. I think it's important though to not just know like the word of God, but to know it in context, mm -hmm. to understand what it says, because there are people who use the word of God for nefarious purposes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty good though that it, at handling it in a non academic, non social, biblical way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's one of the best books I've read in all the stuff that's out there right now. And there's a lot out there right now. And just going back to that dumb kind of thing, my, my favorite example of this is like when people are trying to put like inspirational Bible quotes around <laughs> and they quote Luke 4, 7. 
um, which is, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And uh, that's a little less inspirational, you know, who said that? Yeah, so it's important to know the word, but also to know the word in context. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Jesus quoted the word, and he, of all people, was the word. Yeah. 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 Anyone didn't need to do word. that, he was, he's still doing yeah. it. Yeah. Big one I see all the time is Jeremiah 29. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gosh. Constantly. But trying to be with grace. Sometimes he's a right, though. It's, it's like, yes, in a sense, that does apply to you, but in the much broader context, no, that does not at all apply to you. Stop. Yeah. Well, well, we had the earlier example today where someone quoted Romans 8, 28. And then yes. what follows that, though, for those mm -hmm. he foreknew, he also justified those mm -hmm. who he justified. He is, yeah, it talks about the atonement. It's not about getting what you want. Even apart from Christians, ultimately, benefiting, mm -hmm. it's all going to work out for God's glory, which right. by definition is for good. That's what I was Yeah, saying. no, we, we understood. <laughs> <laughs> Just very easy to take that one out of context. But, but this all leads back to so many Christians don't know the word, not yeah. that I know it great, right. and they're not tall, and they're just flowing along. We're, we're all like fish in an ocean of culture mm -hmm. and worldview, and so they don't know these nuances. They don't know this verse is, is uh, you know, it needs to be interpreted with these other verses. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't know the Christian history. They don't know how we got to where we believe in human rights today and freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking to someone about Christian nationalism and how... Christian nationalism is spreading is really bad. And, and there's certain bad things to that. I'm not a, I don't think I'm a Christian nationalist, but um I mean, yeah, how you define things. I mean, if you can write your definitions on that one. If you can write your dictionary, you can make anything. But you know, it's it's um it's just a lot of people not thinking through things out there and not being informed by wise people in the past. Yeah, but we have to remember we were right. If we feel like we've at least gotten somewhere in some place that we were right where they were, yeah. I mean, and other people are much further down than us. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just it's a wonder we got anything figured out. Seriously, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm eternally grateful. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, my history with theology is not pretty, and so just that like sense of what I know now is not because I'm like super smart or anything like that. Cause I very much am an idiot. It's understanding that God is good. And that he can do that for each of us individually with our backgrounds and our yeah. personalities and our gifts is just amazing to me. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of encouragement to be taken from that line in, in one of the epistles of, and such were some of you. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Because it's a reminder, but it's also past tense. Even us who grew up in the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That stupid things too. <laughs> <laughs> and it also touches back to where, you know, we can say, that, you know, God, God loves and everybody has the image of God in them. But it's a true fact that someone who doesn't have Christ is missing something important and we need, you know, that doesn't make them a lesser person mm -hmm. that might make them a target for loving evangelism. Like you mentioned the Matthew 
the, the Massachusetts advertisement yeah. about Indians. I don't know in what spirit that was done, mm -hmm. but it is a true statement. You know, if I say we should consider sending missionaries to India because they need them, right. that doesn't mean that I'm demeaning, demeaning them over there, but it means we're valuing them. Mm -hmm. But it could be said in a very demeaning way as well. I think that's one of the difficulties with uh, looking at the history of evangelism and how strongly it's tied to colonialism and how sometimes those ideas got mixed and for the worse. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that evangelism was unimportant or was uh, something wrong to do. Well, so we've mentioned Cortez a few times. We mm -hmm. can trace our family line all the way to Cortez, which is kind of, oh gosh, it's kind of fun. So we're you. Even Cortez's family can be redeemed. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, on one hand, it's terrible. What he did was terrible. But on the other hand, I wouldn't be here today. Had um, not happened, so it's it's one of those things. Like, what this happens with you know every single culture has had yeah. terrible things. People do terrible things to each other because of sin, and um, in all of our families, people did terrible things. Yeah. So we just know of people like Cortez and Hitler and all these other terrible people because it's recorded. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yet, interesting enough, if you look at the countries that were founded by colonialism in Africa or captured, the ones that were captured by countries like England and the Protestant countries have a much higher rate of um, civil rights and education and economic advancement than the ones that were colonialized by Catholic countries. It's, so we can look at colonialism as you know an unmitigated evil, but there's probably a lot to that story, a lot of different nuances to it as well. I think it's important to recognize that ultimately God is sovereign and that in an evil thing, God can use elements of it for good. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean the thing, therefore, is good. Right. There's, it's evil. Um, but there are, there are things that were in that system that God used to his glory. Mm-hmm. But even if they were birthed in situations of extreme injustice, when people did not view other humans as made in the image of God. Yeah, I mean, there's the colonialism like Cortez, mm -hmm. and there's colonialism like India, and there's colonialism like the Philippines. I mean, there's lots of, it's a very broad spectrum. And even within those movements, there are people all over the board. Mm -hmm. You know, there are good people that were sent by the government to those colonies who did good, mm -hmm. even though they weren't part of the original. Like, they didn't have the perspective of the evil side of colonialism. So it's it's never all black and white. No. Yeah. And colonialism isn't a good or bad thing. It's just something that happens. It's a culture interacting with another. One has some things that the other culture finds fascinating and better than what they have in their own culture, so they integrate it. It's, however, at times they can be malicious, and it's just a culture trying to take out another one. It can be, you know, it often was. Yeah. The military and all that sort of thing. It's, the human history's messy, that's for sure. Yeah. And like, even just a couple of years ago, a missionary was trying to go to an island of people who are known to be, you know, um, 
it was it was a small island. There was actually no modern world contact, mm -hmm. and he was killed on the beach. And a lot of people were like, "That person had no business being there trying to reach these people for Christ." Mm -hmm. And and you know, he, and this was like four years ago. Do you remember that? And he was roundly mm -hmm. criticized after his death mm -hmm. for trying to reach them for Christ. Yeah, I think that was North Sentinel Island. Yeah, off of India. Yeah. yeah. Very small example now, yeah. but there have been several attempts to um, get missionaries in there. But the um, the Indian government has blocked it off by has blocked off outward contact by right literally everyone. And so the secular world looks like that's okay, and the Christian world looks like those people are going to hell without Christ mm -hmm. or without good medicine and you know, all the other things that human flourishing God loves about. I think it's a really hard thing to accept the fact that there is always going to be evil until the end of all things. And that is like sometimes really heartbreaking and it's really tempting to, to see that as in a view of despair, then therefore why do anything? Because if God's going to work it all out anyway, then what's the point of me doing things now? But we are actively called to engage with one another. We are actively called to confront injustice, to do justice to one another, which therefore means confronting injustice. We are called to love God and love people. And those two things aren't flippantly said of just being accepting of everyone, but biblically, what is love? What does it mean to love God? And therefore, what does it mean to love others? And so I think sometimes there's comfort in that, in that things won't be worked out, but I can do what I can with what I have been given. And that'll have to be enough for now. I think that is especially difficult when you have those times when things seem to be getting better. You think, finally, we're on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> and that will not last for long. Ecclesiastes <laughs> <laughs> one time, man. What has been is what will be, and there is nothing new under the sun. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Christians throughout history have been given, I'll call them assignments, to, to evangelize, to, and even today, I think Christians, you know, do more service and, and help to people than any other group of people. Yeah. And it, so it's amazing how much good is happening. Yes. Started universities and hospitals and orphanages. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, there's many, well, many good things going on. And and that it comes from the view of people as, mm -hmm. as image bearers. Yes. And even missionaries that went to, I was just in Tanzania, so the Catholic Church is very positive there and very helpful in the communities. It's a major force for good. So is the Lutheran Church too. But um, but they didn't necessarily start out on the best footing. <laughs> okay. okay, but they have, you know, God has worked in hearts and, and their help is um, you know, very appropriate in many uh, ways, right? What do you think about time of Rome? They conquered all these countries and built roads. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there's all Paul just traveling around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On your dog, they got the water. Right, right. It's like I'm going to take advantage of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Four hundred years. That was colonial, is yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah, the Pax Romana, the years of mm -hmm. peace, was helped Christianity. So a brutal regime, but positive things. So God uses it all. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's that it's that very famous quote from Joseph. 
near the end of Genesis of what you intended for evil, God and used for good. Yeah. Yep. I mean, he used the very greatest evil for right. the very greatest good. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It doesn't mean that it wasn't evil. It doesn't mean like, well, since good came out of it, therefore it wasn't all that bad. No, it was bad, but good came out of it. Mm-hmm. I think us live in a time where we're, he's put us here in this time to confront Injustice, maybe. Maybe in some cases stay silent. Maybe in some places to actually go out and do something um, that has to be rooted in scripture, I think. Not just going out and do what feels right. Do you mean without compromising yes. truth? <laughs> <laughs> oh. See, I'll title of the book. Roll credits. <laughs> you got any outro music? <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I heard it on the first one. That's good. Okay. Um, I know we're appro- We're like a minute from when we were supposed to end. Um, <laughs> and it's Friday night. I want to be respectful of people's time. Oh, um, yeah. I've got a big party to go to. <laughs> hey, grab this. That's it. <laughs> yeah, why don't we just wrap up with any closing comments yeah. you may have. Well, I think we had some really great general discussion. This was a very specific, we didn't get to specific current social justice topics at all, but maybe we didn't need to this meeting. Yeah. I think that might be next week, or not next week, but next month, with the, the idolatry question of specific things that we see as idols. Uh, he names four for each um, side of a particular political debate, and I think that will kind of get more specific. By the way, we're going to be out of town November 4th. Okay. So is that it's the next one chapter yeah. for meeting? Yeah, so we're going through all 12 questions, and each question is its own chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're going slow. But read read it all. Read all the appendices. Read all everything. I'll send out more things to read through that that you signed up for. So I, I, I'm an English teacher, so I'm not going to not send out recommended readings. And if you have Audible, it's on Audible. Yeah, I got a yeah, Kindle. Yeah. 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 It's our spot where we say sponsored by. <laughs> <laughs> sponsored use, by? Use this meeting is sponsored by Audible. Use my good to get 10% off. You can't <laughs> Use code GCPC to get 15 off. Audible. I don't see this getting many corporate spots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We are not sponsoring. All right, anyone have any closing comments? No, they didn't work anymore. All right, uh, Mark. Yeah. Do you mind praying for us? Yeah. Um, Lord, thank you for your word, for your foundation of truth, your example of love, and just the reminder that it's uh, really the, the issues that we'll face mostly in our life are. By, by people that you have made, and they may be different than us. Help us to be accepting of that. Help us to, to manage the assignments that you put in our way, whether it be a neighbor or a friend, a situation, volunteering, whatever, Lord. Would you just um, help us to know how you wish to use us and help us to be uh, loving towards all people. Bless Lord, if you would, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Our next discussion will occur at the church on November 4th, Friday, November 4th at 7 p.m. We hope to see you there.